Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your anonymous bosh of business. And haven't you, my friend, ever said, you know, what we really need is a gathering of the world's top political, industrial, and social leaders to compassionately set some new agendas to improve our people and planet. No, not a flocking of wide-eyed idealists long on ideas and powerless to implement, and no, not a conclave of the fiscally elite seeking merely better ways to plutocratize their coffers, but a gathering of wise leaders driven to tackle the issues ranging from climate change devastation to uh, sustainable resource distribution to investment security, beneficial globalism, refugee management, all of the things. Well, the good news is, my friend, that the World Economic Forum provides exactly that. It is what this planet needs, and today we have the former chair of the World Economic Forum USA, Alfred Berkeley, to guide us to the practical solutions that the world's elite minds are putting into practice. You veteran listeners will remember that uh, Al has come on and talked about his uh, his own United Nations Sustainable Goals Equity Fund, which he has launched and which delivering profits to investors and enriched survival to the world's people at the same time. And we've also had him talk about how he, as, as head leading NASDAQ, took the uh, stock trading into, well, should we say a common American occurrence, presidents, the wise ones anyway, depends on his counsel. His list of achievements is too long, but we have Alfred here, and he is going to tell us about the World Economic Forum. So whether you are a business journal publisher trying to share new positive avenues like Rich or your father trying to share with his sons the true achievable benefits in a business career, like Tom, pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Al, I'm so glad that you could break free from your own very measured investments and boards and advisory efforts to to help uh, put our globe in a better perspective. Well, you're good to have me. I um, am delighted to talk about the World Economic Forum. It's one of the most unique organizations in the world, and it does really good work. I do want to make one little correction, though. I was not chairman of the oh. World Economic Forum USA. I was a board member for 11 years and I uh, have been, okay. been over to the forum about 17, 18 times. Um, it is Wonderful. quite a remarkable organization. It hmm. uh, gathers people together to get significant work done. Well, well now, uh, if I were to it, it, it return recently from uh, – the high rare alpine air of Davos, Switzerland, where they convened. And uh, everything I've read and from what you've told me about it, would I be right to call this a, a gathering of hope, and, and why would that be? Well, I think it is a gathering of hope in the sense that it works on the things that need to be worked on in the world. Let me give you a little bit of background. One way to look at what sure. the World Economic Forum is doing is to bring together people who have a uh, background in in a topic and to get the issues of that topic on the table in front of people who have the resources to do something about it, specifically the uh, businesses of the world, the governments of the world, and the NGOs of the world. 
One way to look at what they're doing is, is to build a five-pointed star. You've got business, you've got uh-huh. academia, you've got the press, you've got right. the non-governmental, non-profit organizations, and you've got governments. So five constituencies are represented there. And there are about 30 working groups that work around the year uh, different topics, ranging from clean water to uh, disaster relief to uh, what to do about corruption to what to do about cybersecurity. And there are working groups that come up with very thoughtful policy recommendations for governments to implement and policy uh, practic- practical policies for companies to implement. You get that voice amplified by having the academic expertise interacting with the business resources amplified by the press who are there running many of the conferences, uh, sessions. Well, now, this is the one thing I think that, that makes it stand out, that you have these uh, po- new policies, a new new uh, set agendas recommended. Where do what happens after that? Uh, how is the implementation process taken on? Well, I think at the, at the where the most of the work gets done is at the boring lower level of uh, business leaders and and policy experts and and government leaders going home and saying, okay, it's time to do something about this. Or let me coordinate right. with this person that work in this area. Let us join forces. There are all these these individual distributed interactions that actually get the work done. The big pronouncements are typically media events, but don't get the work done. The work gets done on the ground. And what the World Economic Forum is so good at is getting people energized by meeting people that are working on a common agenda. Okay. Now I it calls itself. Uh, an organization of public-private cooperation. I think that's what you've sort of talked about. Uh, what when you bring people, when the people come together, uh, obviously there is a an innate selection in the sense that uh, only people who have an interest in bringing benefit and tackling major issues uh, are going to come. But how do you? Uh, what is the attitude when when you come there? Uh, it must be different than when you go to a, a the standard business meeting uh, to to work out to, to hammer out this year's better market share, right? Well, I think the attitude is different. I think people are open to uh, new ideas. They're meeting new people, but they're also seeing the people that they've seen there before. I, I, I've been mm-hmm. about seventeen times, eighteen times. I can't remember exactly, and I have Davos only yeah. friends who uh, I see once yeah, a year yeah. and keep up keep up with by email. Um, the, uh, the, the benefit of seeing the same people year after year is that you build trusting relationships and you get things done. I've used the telephone and the email to, to ask many people uh, about companies that have approached us here in the United States, say, who are these people? Are they honest? Are they... Are they well thought of in yeah. your country? Because I have no way of checking that out. So that trust is an important byproduct of the working sessions and the being together, and particularly being together year after year. So it's quite a remarkable organization in that sense. So in, in a way, it's it's like uh, a convening of the Senate, or as it should be, uh, in that you you meet people you meet people who have an expertise that you keep coming back to, and who can feed you updates uh, on. Something like, well, for instance, cybersecurity, which is one of your own 
mm-hmm. fellows I know, correct? Yeah, I think, a, I think a key way of looking at this, Bart, is to say that you have both a transactional relationship with people, but more important, you have a, uh, a, a real deep personal trusting relationship with people that you've dealt with over time. There's also sort of a pre-screening model there. Most of the people that are invited to come to Davos yeah. are pretty darn interesting people. And uh, you're, right. you're pleased to know them. You're pleased to uh, share ideas yeah. with them, and you're pleased to have them uh, as your friend. Well, now, you have just been uh, you one of, uh, I, as I, I mentioned, one of your uh, points of expertise and also uh, something for which you're, you've been working on for a long time is the idea of cybersecurity from in the investment arena and, and in general. Now, uh, did you meet, uh, just to, to help us get a handle on an individual example, Sure. Wh- whom did you meet and what did you work with on that, uh, on, on that uh, arena right there? Well, over the years, uh, just a little background here, I was, uh, when I was president of the NASDAQ, we were a big hacking target, and I actually uh, mm, got involved with and ended up leading, I was permanent vice chair and then acting chair of the president's National Infrastructure Advisory Council, which was a uh, federal advisory council for the president uh, regarding infrastructure, including the cyber infrastructure. So we I did yes. that for 11 years and uh, spent a lot of time working the cyber problem at the policy level. Uh, at the World Economic Forum, uh, the cyber effort was early identified years ago, and working groups were put together, and sensible uh, people with a place at the table, maybe a good example would have been John Chambers at Cisco, uh, was uh, an outspoken voice about uh, needing to work the cyber problem and have uh, global coordination among governments and companies and industries. Uh, And and the technology vendors themselves had a big role. But John did a great job in drawing people's attention to the problem and indeed uh, changing Cisco's products so that they were more and more uh, responsive to the, to the problem. So, no. you know, I think uh, he was doing that around the year and using Davos as a platform to get the message out. He was doing the technical work around right. the year. But there are a lot of people like that, and because you've got so many very large companies uh, there, you've got a lot of muscle to implement things if they get interested. And John, and just to use the Cisco example, to continue the Cisco example, John was very effective in... Uh, in, in meeting people and getting his thoughts across. You know, I, I think that's this is the kind of thing where you uh, that one man who is starting the revolution at Davos gets a voice if he has the practical uh, the practical uh, uh, practical insight to take to take something forward, and it, it sounds excellent. If, well, I think if that's you've right. just joined us, you're listening to. Um, uh, if you just joined us, you're listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time floats mysteriously and eternally through the ethereal updrafts of cyberspace, where you may listen and download it by visiting uh, theartofthecEO.com. And as an added avenue, you may also enjoy our shows on C-Suite Radio Station. We're now proud members of C-Suite Radio, where experienced voices uh, beat and swap knowledge and solutions. So just uh, visit all our, our the CEO episodes on c-suiteradio.com. 
Now, Al, I understand that this was, I believe, the fourth year running that the forum named climate change as one of the major threats to global stability and prosperity. I, I, I know that just from my own personal perspective, I, we all have one. I've witnessed the ruination of agricultural land and ocean ecosystems in Australia, the gush of pollution in India, our own fresh water shortages. But here you have a forum of experts with a much fuller comprehension of this and the interconnectedness of climate change effect. Uh, what were some of the perhaps less obvious uh, effects that were uh, discussed and addressed concerning climate change? Well, I was picking this up on the periphery. I was actually supporting a United Nations effort this year when I was in Davos. I didn't actually go to any of the uh, World Economic Forum sessions on climate change. But something really interesting is happening because the World Economic Forum, which which highlights and identifies and spots these, these critical issues, uh, is actually giving a lot of support to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals for the year 2030. So in the oh, okay. uh, ma the magic of, of Davos is that a CEO, for example, uh, gets to immerse himself in topics that he may not be immersed in normally day to day in his business. So you'll see a lot of a lot of uh, large corporate CEOs uh, participating in the programs related to their industry, but also taking the time to sit in working sessions on topics that he knows are important to him but may not be front and center to his base business. So there was a lot of chatter about uh, about uh, the climate change issue, about uh, practical things we could do, uh, fitting into the sustainable development goals of the United Nations, clean water, for example, or, or climate change itself, or clean air. All these high-minded topics come with 10 or so recommended specific actions that are more bite-sized that you can get your arms around and you can actually do something about. So it's not just a high-minded blather about topics that are too big to chew. It's about getting bite-sized right. chunks that, that uh, you can actually do something about. And you would see the CEO of uh, uh, CEO plural uh, of multiple large companies sitting in sessions that they know they need to know something about, but they really haven't had the time to focus on day-to-day -day in the, in, in the work-a-day world. So I think that's a really... Uh, great advantage that the forum offers people is the ability to immerse themselves in things that they're not normally familiar with. I, it, it sounds very much like the, the CEO who gets pulled away from uh, the daily fires to say, yes, we do have to do some long-range long planning, and yes, we do have to address uh, the, the climate change, and not just with uh, within as you, as you say, uh, I, I might have uh, palaver, but with some real bite-sized uh, solutions. Do you recall any anything that uh, could you give us an example of one or two of the uh, the bite-sized chunks of the solutions that 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 you have seen people adopting or that people might adopt? Well, the one the one that I heard talked about most that was interesting was uh, plastic pollution in the ocean. And uh, you may remember that a, a whale was found di dead or dying on the on the shore, and had 17 pounds of plastic in his stomach. And uh, uh, there was a lot of discussion yeah. about uh, a lot of discussion about okay, let's get serious about this plastic issue. So that's one of, of dozens of topics that were presented, and one that I happen to resonate with, and I happen to hear people talking about. 
But I think you, you need to have a, a broad aperture here on climate change. I think there are a lot of ways to work on it. And uh, the carbon footprint issue is, is another major discussion point uh, that I heard a lot about uh, in Davos uh, this year. So, uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering uh, also, what about uh, resources uh, security? One of the things I, I know that they, uh, they took the climate change threat, so many of the the vital components of our civilizations that we thought were secure and there is uh, the uh, this is a forum that has the ability and power to to shift and uncover uh, resources and, and lacks was that something that was uh, addressed within the climate change or, or without uh, of, of that perspective yes and one way to understand what happens in Davos itself is that a lot of the working groups that work around the year that typically have one or two World Economic Forum staffers and 15 or 20 experts and industry participants and NGO participants will be presenting the results of a year's worth of work. So it's not like you're you're starting from scratch when you arrive uh, in the in the Alps. It's uh, it's that you're getting the result of a year's worth of work in progress um, uh, reported out, and then new uh, agendas are set for the for the upcoming year. The other thing that's important to remember is that the World Economic Forum at Davos is the pinnacle event, but they also have uh, three other uh, global get-togethers, one in Dalian, China, one in Delhi, India, and one in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. And uh, uh, these are uh, also working sessions where the work of the roughly 30 uh, topical groups uh, are hashed out, and people from around the world who normally would see each other only on a, on a telephone call or by email get to meet face to face and hash out the issues. Wow, I, I think that's. It, it seems like it is a very well organized for action uh, institution, and it's something that we very much need. And at this point, with our global perspective sort of nourished by some hopeful expertise, I believe it's truly time to take a brief survey and allow me to proffer a few utensils for the Feast of Wisdom Al is playing before us. Uh, so first utensils I always do. Allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask Will this be the day that you scrutinize the compensations of your current job and determine if this is the fulfillment you signed on for? Or will you continue to measure job value by the yardsticks of others' opinion? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quiz book, which I thumb through as... Okay, here we are, here we are. This one is number 53. <clears throat> Marketers and cyber thieves both secretly gather your personal information and employ it to withdraw money from your account. The former usually leaves a product behind. <laughs> what do you think, Al? Is cybersecurity, you're a cybersecurity expert, actually. Is, is practical security a thing of the past? 
Well, I think that practical security uh, requires a lot of work. It's, not, it's available to you if you work at it. But more importantly, Bart, I think the game in cybersecurity is changing dramatically, and we're going to get some good cybersecurity uh, over the course of the next five to ten years. And the reason is very simple, and that is the micro, microchips that are underlying all of computing are now big enough to uh -huh. do both the work you want the computer to do and the protection you want it to provide, specifically through um, uh, through encryption. encryption. The chips are yeah. now big enough to both encrypt and to do the work that you want, encrypting on the fly and de-encrypting on the fly. So you're going to see some movements from network security to data security, and that's going to help a lot. And that will protect, of course, the data at rest, uh, which is where most data spends 95% of its life. 99.999% uh, of its life. Oh, okay, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, if you smirk a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books, folks. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 or the 101 Best Business Quips book. And you're, you're going to fill your hilarity quiver with a jovial load of barbs to cheer your fellow chain gangers at work. You'll love it. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer to last week's business quotation. And Al, this was not chosen as, as a barb to you. It just it just happens this way. <laughs> this is so the name of the individual who said. The herd instinct among economic forecasters makes sheep look like independent thinkers. <laughs> now, before we give you the name of that, what do you think, Al? How, how, how close is, is that quote to reality? Well, I do think that, I do think that a lot of in economic forecasts do cluster around uh, common points. But I, in my experience in dealing with the Economic Advisory Committee at NASDAQ and, and just my life in, in the uh, financial services industry, most economists are hardworking, honest, straightforward, and give their own opinions. The problem is they're dealing with partial knowledge, and in some cases, they're extrapolating. Uh, and, and that's very hard to find the turning points when you're extrapolating from the past. So uh, I, no. I give them credit for the effort, but I always take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, well, actually, the the uh, individual who spoke these these words that that, that quote came from none other than uh, the uh, a, an economist himself who aided President Nixon and Ford Edgar Fiedler. So, congratulations to all you winners who guessed properly and. Stick with us, because later on the show, Blurting Your Way, comes yet another emerging quotation. And if you are among the learned souls and are the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or to be. And email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind, soul, and career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And before we return to uh, Mr. Alfred Berkeley for the enlightening views and deeds of the world's economic forum, allow me to introduce you to the company by whose good graces we are here today. That company is Prometheus Publishing. And this week's, uh, the folks at Prometheus, instead of telling you about any of their enlightening lives, they would uh, like to privately pronounce, uh, announce their pr Prometheus Awards. Now, Prometheus was the ancient Greek titan who defied the gods and brought humankind the gift of fire. And from that light onward, my friend, there was no going back. The Prometheus Awards recognized those exceptional individuals who, by their personal example and their inventive enterprises, enriched the human community and shed light into our world. 
So right now, Prometheus Publishing is conducting a call for nominations. So if you know someone, if you know an individualist who's putting his or her creative sweat and energy into a project that's enriching some corner of our human world, we invite you to share those rays of hope and nominate them for a Prometheus Award. You may send that nomination to info at bardsbooks.com. Don't forget to include their, your, the, the contact number of your uh, nominee. And uh, or you may go to bardsbooks.com and see business, press the business's best button and do it there. Anyway, I uh, we do believe the good that people do is should not die of neglect. It's too important a commodity. And now, with our utensils in hand, uh, let's return our uh, agitated and agilitized little gray cells to the economic insights of Alfred Berkeley and the. Uh, powerfully progressive World Economic Forum. Al, uh, so many of the, uh, I, 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 you cast such a, a, a hopeful light in the addressing of climate change, and meanwhile, what we sitting back here see is this, this battle over uh, of, of climate change as a, uh, a uh, political football, a villainizing of. Uh, rab-and-go industrialists and idealists and, and so forth. Uh, is, is, it, is the forum just one... Is, is it representative of... Is it more representative than what we are seeing here at home? Well, I think the World Economic Forum uh, has uh, serious discussions, uh, normally backed by pretty good academic thinking, if not research, right. actual real, real peer-reviewed research, on a whole variety of topics. So while it seems like it's a lot of talk, there's actually a lot of uh, a lot of action that comes out of it. I think that the real kicker here, Bart, is that the United Nations has gotten every nation in the country except for Yemen and North Korea to sign on to the Sustainable Development Goals for 2030. And that is not only not only engaging nations, but it's this time, instead of the millennial goals in 2000, which, which did not uh, accomplish a lot of what it wanted, take, yeah. they're now reaching out, reaching out to the private sector, which you know really owns 90 or 95% of the uh, assets in the world. And, uh, right, right. Uh, and, and there's a good chance that something can really come about. And we're getting good uptake, uh, not only by the press, which is vitally important to amplify the message and amplify the voice and create urgency and create uh, create uh, a sense of importance. Uh, not only are we getting the press involved, but we're also getting the financial community involved in a big way. So you're seeing um, government reporting, ask questions, particularly in Europe, about sustainability. You're seeing... Uh, uh, financial investors ask questions about sustainability, and the sustainability theme, the can we live on this little round ball called Earth uh, without polluting it, uh, can, can we do that, is becoming front and center in a lot of discussions in a way it never has before, and this is where the hope comes from. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It, it, it shows that uh, I think there is a mythos saying that the powerful don't care and the powerless have no uh, ability to affect change. And you have just shown that that really is not so. And uh, one of the other uh, statements that I, I've been reading in the forum talks about globalization 
4.0 along as as a possible uh, benefactor of the sustainable uh, efforts. Um, I, I would be very interested in your personal definition of globalization, and uh, could you point out also any of the benefits that you see from the new, new version of it? Well, I think that uh, globalization really changed its character in 1989 when the wall came down in Berlin. And we uh, essentially invited uh, half of the world's population into the, into the uh, world markets. Uh, China's taken right. advantage of it in a, in a way that's stunning. They have, we, you know, we thought they would go to democracy and capitalism. They've stayed with communism and right. capitalism. Uh, it's, a, uh-huh. it's a different yeah. way of thinking about things. Uh, and they're, they're, they're over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think that by and large you've got a situation where the standard of living is coming up in the world. Uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but something like a billion people have come out of poverty since the wall came down. And there are more to go, uh, but with the zero marginal cost of instantaneous communications around the world through the World Wide Web, you're getting a a wave of knowledge, of ability for people to know what's going on around the world in a way that's never been available to mankind before. We probably still don't understand it completely yet. We have clearly not figured out how to deal with the predators in the game, but we will. And uh, uh, so, you know, I think it's a very optimistic circumstance if we figure out these sustainability issues. And that's why I'm spending some time on, you know, all all you have in your life is your time, and, and I think it's worth spending time on these sustainability issues. Well, uh, if I I want to talk about what you're doing at this moment, but I just one final question that uh, I'm a, a, a small software designer in Copenhagen. I'm an automobile dealer in Cleveland. I'm a, a subsistence farmer in Togo. What will I, direct or indirectly, be gaining from the world economic forum? You gain well from the World Economic Forum. You gain if you're there and part of it. You gain well if the ability to have uh, access to people. Be, if right. If right. you're if you're just benefiting from what the actions are, there are basically about yeah. 30 different tracks that the World Economic Forum has working groups on, and in different years, some are more urgent and some are more pressing than others. Uh, but basically, they're working on a whole group of problems that range from the very practical and tactical, which is disaster relief in earthquakes or floods, uh, all the way to uh, the climate change issue, which is one of the toughest issues mankind's ever faced. Truly, truly. Uh, and if I want to keep abreast of the activities of the forum, how uh, how might I, as a compassionate, responsible sort of individual, how can I keep track and perhaps even get involved? Well, they've actually got a terrific website. They've improved it dramatically in the last four or five years. And it's it's weforum.org. And it's got a lot of information about what the forum does and a lot of the results of the work. Okay. Well, that's, that would be a, that sounds like a great starting place. And just one more question before uh, I, I do want to ask. You have lost, as we mentioned, the uh, you put your own effort into sustainability, and you have launched the United uh, Nations Global uh, Stability Equity Fund. I believe I got that right. In accordance with the United Nations 17 points of global stability, uh, could you tell us how that's progressing? Well, what we've done is to we have a contract with UNGSII. 
GSII stands for Global Sustainability Index Institute. It's a nonprofit located in Luxembourg, essentially started by some of the senior folks at the end, the advisors to the United Nations. And we have a contract with them to develop a, a portfolio of the largest companies in the world uh, that are, uh, the first screen is, are they committed to one or more of the sustainable development goals in their regulatory filings? Well, this uh, limits the universe a bit, but it shows the companies that are willing to take a legal stance, a legally demanding stance of regulatory filings about these goals. We, we looked at the 500 largest companies. We found about 169 of them that have these uh, obligations uh, outlined in their regulatory filings, and we've developed Impressive. a portfolio uh, out of that. The portfolio itself, which is which is basically been backcasting. You have to be careful here, Bard, because because these are uh, hypothetical numbers when you're backcast. Has very good, and we're right. we're doing it straight in a straightforward way, but. <clears throat> caution people to be cynical about backcasting at all times. Um, uh, we're showing good results, uh, and we have some uh, some money that's uh, interested in being managed this way, but we, we have not formally launched the Luxembourg Fund uh, that I mentioned to you last time we talked. Right. Okay. And, uh, well, I, I really wish you all the best with that. It, it's... Uh, it just the very number of companies you come up with is, uh, I, I find hopeful. And I thank you so much for telling us uh, and revealing uh, everything about the World Economic Forum that uh, really needs to be better known and uh, better supported as, as one of our uh, rays of hope in, uh, for the people and planet. So I thank you for coming on, Al. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. So as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. And that is, who was it who said, knowledge may give weight, but accomplishments give luster, and many more people see than way. <laughs> and as a hint, uh, this legendary historian is also famed for expressing the postal creed, either rain or snow, or sleet or hail, shall save these couriers from their appointed rounds. If you know that, you will know the author of this quote. Uh, and remember, if you know that author, just scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune into the Art of the CEO radio show next week as Mr. Tom Hubbler, one of the foremost authorities on family business, lays out the challenges and wise approaches to keeping this emotional and fiscal union on track. And I mean it, Tom has some uncommon sense mandates that anyone in a family business is going to want to tune in here. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, those powerful people held high in the light of relentless media hold no more power over you than that which you willingly cede to them. Uh, and if you, uh, and to you who've been gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Al and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, you who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. <laughs>